As I said uh, earlier, welcome to week two of Camping Out with Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about the lake and the woods. But specifically, we're going to be talking about what happened one day at the lake in the woods. For those of you who are at home right now listening online, I need to set up the visual for you. Our whole auditorium is set up as a wooded area, a campsite. We have two campfires going, and I'm going to tell a scary story. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Because you can't be around a campfire and not tell a scary story. So for our listeners online, I'm about to shine a flashlight in my face for dramatic effect. For everyone else, I just ruined that subtle moment for you, but here we go. Yeah, that's scary right there. Some of you... Some of you have heard the campfire story of the man who lived in the woods. Ooh. Now, this man didn't have a hook for a hand. No. He didn't have a chainsaw or a hockey mask. But this man, rumor has it, lived in these very woods. Ooh. And he roamed around these woods. He wore the skins of animals for his clothes. Ooh. And he ate bugs that lived in the woods. He was an outcast of society. What some would call a wild man. It's my wild man face. Some might even call him a freak. This wild man was known for doing some strange and crazy things in the woods. Things that went against the culture of his day. He preached in the woods. He preached in the woods rather than in the synagogue. Gasp. And he... He said things. He preached to all who would come out to the woods and listen. He preached against the religious trends of his day. And he preached of the coming Messiah. And he baptized people. Man, you guys are playing along really well. He baptized people for repentance. I told you this was scary. He... He even baptized the only sinless person ever to live. There'll be more on that in just a bit. He went on preaching and teaching and and living this nomadic lifestyle. And at one point in his life, he was put into prison. And when he told a certain king that his lifestyle choice to marry his brother's wife was against God. Dun, dun, dun. They cut off his head! Yeah, that's the... (laughs) I guess they got scared in the back. (laughs) Scared him right out of his job. There we go. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we can come today and we can, we can look at something 
uh, the story of, of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and, and the things he did to prepare the way for your son. And Lord, I thank you that, that we can learn from that, that we can learn something foundational that we can apply to our lives. And, and so I pray as we get into your word that your word will get into our hearts and that it will get into our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Can you imagine a guy like that running around these very woods, eating bugs and preaching about repentance? Today we're going to look at the real story of John the Baptist and Jesus, and, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there in your, your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or your Kindles to, to Matthew chapter 3. As you turn there, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for today, and I'm going to tell this whole sermon in the next five words, but when I finish, that doesn't mean you can get up and leave, all right? Right here in five words, Jesus was baptized and then fasted. That's what we're going to learn about today. Jesus was baptized then fasted. I didn't say and, then. Jesus was baptized then fasted. You'll figure it out. I'm not a math major. I'm a preacher. (laughs) But it's more than that. And that's what we're going to read about today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to him to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I will baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Man, I told you he preached against the religious trends of his day. He just called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. John the Baptist just told the religious leaders that they needed to repent. He told them they were producing bad fruit and that every tree not producing good fruit would be cut down. He told them basically that without a heart change, they would be burned up as chaff in an unquenchable fire. And then he offers these people who already see themselves as as clean and right before God. He offers them baptism for repentance. It's like, wow. Told you he was a wild man. You see, he was trying to prepare people's hearts for what was coming. We're going to read on verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, I'm going to do a quick recap here. Here's John the Baptist, and he's preaching baptism for people for repentance. And he's preaching a message of preparation for Christ to come. And as he's preaching this message, he shows up. Jesus himself shows up kind of in mid-sermon, so to speak. As John is preaching about repentance and about baptism for repentance and about preparing the way for Jesus, he shows up. And he said, he said that he came to be baptized by John. But John's like, whoa, no, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, let it be. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And I'm reading through that and I'm thinking, you know, here's the same Jesus who was with God in the beginning when there was nothing and God spoke. Here's the same Jesus who was miraculously born through Mary, the same Jesus that had lived his life without spot or blemish. And he's coming forward and he's setting an example that would, according to Scripture, fulfill all righteousness. No one else could do that. Only Jesus. But for us today, as we hear the gospel story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is for us to respond in obedience. And it's for us to repent of our sins. It's for us to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's for us to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism for us is not just a good idea. It is the way that God himself will clothe us in forgiveness and wrap us in his righteousness. But even for Jesus, he didn't stop at his baptism. I want to peek into Matthew chapter 4, and I have to be real careful because next Sunday is all about the whole part of Matthew chapter 4. So we're just going to look at verse 1 and 2. No reading ahead this week, okay? If you want to read, reread like John chapter 3, but don't read chapter 4 until, until next Sunday. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says this. As, as Jesus was baptized, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so here we are at the lake in the woods. The lake where Jesus was baptized. The woods where he fasted, so to speak. God in the flesh came in the middle of a sermon he was baptized, he came up out of the water, and for 40 days he fasted. Now, if Jesus getting baptized fulfills all righteousness, then why does he need to go and fast? He's, he's already fulfilled all righteousness. He, he's already perfect as you can get. Why does he need to fast? What can we learn from Jesus fasting and his experience? I found an article from a guest columnist for CBN.com named Marilyn Hickey. And she wrote about the power of fasting and prayer. Listen to how her article started. She says, fasting and prayer, didn't those go out of style decades ago? The woman who said this to me was a godly woman, a woman who had been in the church all her life and a woman intent on obeying the Bible and obeying the Lord. She knew her Bible. She was very serious in her question. Yet for some reason, she had concluded, at least subconsciously, that fasting and prayer were no longer intended for believers in today's world. It's 
it's funny. Apparently, there are a lot of Christians that feel that way. But the truth is, Marilyn says, fasting and prayer are for today. In fact, now more than ever. You see, the combination of fasting and praying is not a fad or a novelty approach to spiritual discipline. Fasting and praying are not part of a human-engineered method or plan. They're not the means to manipulate a situation or even to create a circumstance. But fasting and praying are Bible-based disciplines that are appropriate for all believers of all ages throughout all centuries in all parts of the world. I think she hit the nail on the head right there. The combination of fasting and praying is, is not a fad. It's not a trendy thing. It's not something that would just be hashtagged on Twitter for a while. Fasting and praying are not part of something that we engineered as human beings. They're part of God's plan for Christians to stop and refocus and listen for him. Prayer and fasting are tools that unleash us to be what God has called us to be for his glory. I personally think that if you're going to fast, it should be from food. Because when we move away from food, the food that sustains us, and and instead we ask God to sustain us, and we replace our hunger and our thirst for food and drink with a hunger and thirst for righteousness and God's will in our lives, we will become what he intended us to be. But I also realize that that we live in a world that is just, it offers instant gratification. All around our community, we have things like TV and internet and Netflix and Facebook and Twitter and fast food and Redbox for DVDs all around us. Everything we have is at at a moment we can just have it. And maybe you need to fast from one of those things. The principle is the same. Maybe you've become dependent on one of those things. Set it aside for a time. Spend the time you would be doing Facebook, reading scripture and talking with God. Remember, just like with, with, a, with a food fast, the first day that you finish, you don't run to the buffet and gorge yourself. Physically, you would get sick. So if you fast from something other than food, when you finish, don't just log on to Netflix and go through a marathon of all the new release movies to catch up on what you missed. Ease back into your social medias and still keep your time with God as a focal point. Have you ever listened? I probably shouldn't ask this question. Have you ever listened to a really amazing preacher? Not me, a good one. I mean... Really, uh, seriously, have you ever been at a conference or, or you know, somewhere, maybe on the radio, you, you just, you hear somebody speaking the word of God, or you hear an author, or you read an author, and you just think, I wish I could, I could write like that person, or I wish I could speak like this person speaks. Um, I wish, you know, someone that talks about how their life has been blessed in all these different areas, and you're like, how is it they live so perfectly, you know? How is it that God has blessed them so much? I want to be blessed by that. I want to be like that guy. Have you ever, you ever heard those people? Have you ever thought those thoughts about someone who is, is more mature or, or maybe what we would consider more successful in their Christian walk? And, and we just think, I wish I could be like that person. I wish my life would impact people like his life has. I just want to encourage you that it can Because one of the things I learned when I was going through Bible college, and as you know, I was there for seven years. um, We had a lot of different people that would come in and speak. And and they would speak in chapels. We had some really amazing professors that would would stand up with a Bible and say, open to Matthew chapter 5. 
and they would put their finger in Matthew chapter 5, but never look at it and preach word for word from Matthew chapter 5, you know, and, and break it down and, and really challenge you with the word and have it completely memorized. And, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, I wish I could do that. You can. The thing I figured out is if you want to be a great man or woman for God, it's not that hard. All you have to do is seek his ways. All you have to do is, is to, uh, if you want an immense knowledge of the Bible, is to read it. You're, you're not going to get it from holding it next to you. You're not going to get it from having it on your coffee table or on your bedside table. If you want to be a courageous man or woman for God, you have to get into his word. You have to read it every day. You have to read it not as a chore, but read it like you want to read it. Read it the same way you would want to read the next trending book that's out right now. Read it, teenagers, like you wanted to read Twilight, okay? Well, I say boo, but you know. <laughs> there, there are tons of books, and I, and I hear people talking about all the time, hey, did you read blah, blah, blah? Hey, did you read John? <laughs> did you read Acts? That's a good one. Uh, all of it, not just the first few chapters. We say, we see something like that. And we say, you know, I want to be like that person. I want, to, I, want, I want to be bold enough to sit down and say to the waitress or the waiter, hey, God loves you and, and, you know, you look a little frustrated today. Is there something I can pray about you for? That's, if you want that, we have to be that. But you have to, you have to, you have to be involved in his word. If, if you want to have the courage to talk with someone about Jesus, talk to Jesus about supplying you with the strength and the courage to talk to that person. See, that's, that's how it works. You can't just wish for that skill. It, it's, it's something you, you pray about. It's something you, you read about. It's something you begin to internalize and make it a focal point in what you do. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to know what Jesus is like. Uh, the trendy thing back in the, the, the early 90s was the, the WWJD bracelet. Well, what would Jesus do? I saw so many people wearing those. And I'm thinking, you're... You're never going to know what Jesus would do because you won't open the Bible to read what Jesus did. It's the same thing. If you want to know what it is to be like Jesus, we need to know what Jesus is like. If you want to know what Jesus... I don't mean being perfect like Jesus. I mean being compassionate towards people like Jesus. I mean putting others first, willing to reach out to the least of these, willing to wash someone's feet. If you want to have sustainability... During the hard times of your life, you need to build your foundation now. And if you're not sure how to build your foundation, one good fire, surefire way to do that is, is through the discipline of prayer and studying the Bible and fasting. And you may be thinking, but, but I haven't been a Christian that long. I'm, I'm not ready for all that. I'm not, I'm not ready for, for fasting. I'm not, I'm not ready for intense Bible study. I, I just got baptized not long ago. I'm just not ready for that kind of intentionality. Listen, the Bible says Jesus was baptized and immediately he went and fasted. Do you understand the principle here? The man who first off didn't need to be baptized was baptized. Then the man who didn't need to fast to become closer to God, because that's really kind of why we fast is because it brings us more in tune with what God's will is in our life. The man who really didn't need to do that because he was with God at the very beginning when he created everything goes immediately after baptism and fasts for 40 days. Do you understand the principle that he set here? Do you see the importance 
of, of the example that Jesus is giving us. And I, I realize baptism is, is just the beginning of your walk with the Lord. And I also appreciate, and, and I want you to understand, I, I firmly encourage discipleship and mentoring from older, more mature Christians to help bring us along. But the catch is, mentoring and discipleship don't do anything for someone who is young in Christ if you're not willing to put yourself out there and trust in God. If you're not willing to put yourself out there, discipleship is not allowing someone who's mature in their faith to live it out for you. That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is asking them to come alongside of you and challenge you and hold you accountable while you grow spiritually through prayer and fasting and studying of the Word of God. So one of the things I hear a lot is, well, I've been baptized, but no one's discipling me. And, and there's kind of a jerk side to me that says, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> you know, pick your Bible up and start reading it. And as you're reading your Bible, you're going to be led to somebody and you're going to go, hey, help me answer this question. I don't understand it. And you know what? Discipleship is going to start happening. Okay? It, it's not my job as a Christian to come to you and, and let you live vicariously through my discipleship and through my lifestyle. It's my job as a Christian to come alongside of you and challenge you to find yourself in the Word of God on a daily basis, to find yourself praying with God. Okay? So I am an advocate for discipleship and mentoring, but I'm also an advocate for stop being lazy and open your Bibles, young Christian people, and read it. And when you have questions, come to us old people like myself, and say, what does this mean? All right? It, that's what it's about. And I want to encourage every believer to fast and pray. And I want to encourage you that for two reasons. First off, the scriptures teach us to fast and pray. It's not something that just happened back 2,000 years ago. It's not something that was only relevant when you weren't sure if you knew where your next piece of bread was going to come from. Fasting didn't develop because Jesus wasn't there to feed a whole bunch of people. Okay, it it's what the Bible teaches us and it's relevant today just as much as it was then. The Bible has a great deal to say about fasting and praying, including commands for us to fast and pray. The Bible gives us examples of people who fasted and prayed. They used all kinds of different types of fasts for different reasons. All of them had varying results, but all of them were results that honored God, which makes them very positive results As I said, Jesus himself fasted and prayed. His disciples fasted and prayed after the resurrection. Many of the Old Testament heroes and heroines of the faith fasted and prayed. King David fasted and prayed. Esther fasted and prayed. The followers of John the Baptist fasted and prayed. Many of the people in the early church, as we read through the book of Acts not too long ago in the Unleashed series, time and time again we saw where they fasted and they prayed. And what the scriptures have taught us directly and by example is that fasting and praying is something that we should do. It's something we are to do. The second thing is this. Fasting and prayer put you into the best possible position for a breakthrough. And now that breakthrough might be in the realm of the Spirit. It might be You might be stuck in a spiritual struggle that you just can't win. And, and you're trying to figure it all out. You feel defeated spiritually. It's time to fast. It's time to seek out God to help you break that, to have a breakthrough there. It may be in the realm of your emotions or your personal habits. Your breakthrough that you need may be in the realm of a very practical area of your life, such as relationships or finances. 
What I've seen over the years in ministry, not only in the scripture, but in countless personal stories that people have told me, is that through periods of fasting and prayer, produce great spiritual results. Many fall into the realm of what I call a breakthrough. What wasn't reality suddenly was. You see, sometimes as Christians, we get into that groove where we think everything is going well for us and and we're just kind of coasting along and we're doing well. We're paying our bills. We're loving our wife. we're, We're not kicking the dog when we get home and things are good, but it's just there. But you start a time of fasting and a time of prayer and a time of intentionality with God and all of a sudden kind of the the scales fall off, the blinders come off, and you see something you haven't seen before. This is the brightness, the amazingness of it. Maybe suddenly what what hadn't worked does. Uh, The unwanted situation or the the unwanted object that was there, whether whether it's a sin or something you just can't beat, suddenly it's, it's not there. The relationship that maybe wasn't that was unloving is, is now loving. The job that, that just wasn't materializing uh, suddenly did. And I don't mean that you just fast until God gives you a job. I mean, sometimes you have options and you're not sure which one to take. And as you take that time, God will show you the door that's opening. The, the very simple and direct conclusion is this. If the Bible teaches us to do something, as Christians, we should want to do it. And, and I want to obey the Lord in every way that he commands me. And the next one is this. If fasting and praying are means to a breakthrough that God has for me, I want to undertake those disciplines so I can experience that breakthrough. Sometimes we get people that say, well, the Bible's just hard to read. I don't know what God wants from me. And if we don't sincerely ask him, you're never going to know what he wants from you. Every person I know needs a breakthrough of some sort in some area in his or her life. I'm no exception for that. I pray for breakthroughs all the time. Uh, It may be a breakthrough in understanding a situation. As I sit down with someone who shares their life with me or shares a a story and they're looking for help and they're looking for guidance and and of all people, they're coming to me for wisdom and advice. I need a breakthrough, Lord. I need to know what's the best thing to tell this person. It, It may be a breakthrough in just having a good understanding of a situation or the breakthrough to answer a problem. Or maybe a breakthrough idea, some insight into something. Sometimes we need a breakthrough in our financial situation. We think we're doing well, but when we really put it out there before God, we realize we could be doing it differently and a whole lot better. Maybe it's a breakthrough in health. If you have any need in your life, you need a breakthrough from God to meet that need. Fasting and prayer, and you can write this down or you can even tweet about it, Fasting and prayer break the yoke of bondage and bring about a release of God's presence, power, and provision in your life. Fasting and prayer break the yoke of bondage and bring about a release of God's presence, power, and provision in your life. You see, in, as, as, as I kind of wrap this up, it comes down to just a couple of things. We can go through our Christian life and we can say, well, well, I'm not ready or, or fasting is such a big thing or I don't know that I can talk to God like that or we can actually try it. How long you've been a Christian doesn't matter. If you were baptized yesterday, you can come out of that water and you can start a fast today 
and see and know what God's calling you to be and do. I have a challenge. Because today, we all have a choice to make. The, the last few months, I preached and talked about impacting our community and impacting our world and, and changing the foundations of our families and things of that nature. And I've had people come up and say, well, what are some tangible, concrete things that we can do to put a series like the Unleashed series into action here? So today, I have a very simple packet for you. It's this envelope, and, and it, it says on here, Open After Much Prayer. Okay? I want everybody to take one of these home today. Put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere. But I want you to keep it where you're going to pray about it. Where you're going to see it. Where I want this to kind of just haunt you. That you'll see it and I haven't prayed enough yet to open that. Okay? And, and in this envelope, it is simply a how-to packet on fasting and, and prayer. That's all that's in here. It's a spoiler alert. In here are, are basic instructions on how to fast successfully. Now, if you didn't get an envelope and, and you want one, make sure you get one off a chair or see me afterwards and we'll make you another one. But these, these basic instructions uh, on fasting, there's, study, there's some study in here. There are, are prayer tips for while you're fasting. And I've included information in here on different types of fasts. Okay, there's, there's about four different types of fasts in here that you can look at, that you can decide what you can do. Now, I have to say this disclaimer. You may need to see your doctor before you go into an actual food fast, okay? I don't want anybody to do anything that's going to hurt them physically, all right? But included in this is also, and this is my favorite thing, as we get ready for the Eats with Sinners series, there's a prayer in here, an intercessory prayer that you can pray for someone while you're fasting that they would come to know the Lord through you or through someone else. But I wanted to give you guys something that when you go in, you're not just going to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm fasting. I've never done this before. What do I do? I, I think there's plenty of, of information in here that can help you along. But here's the catch. If you open the envelope, you're making a commitment that you will prayerfully read through the information first off. And then you're making the commitment that you will honestly commit to one of the fasting plans that's offered here. And you're also making a commitment that you will follow the request for what I call fasting accountability. Now, some of you are like, whoa, hold on a second. I know the Bible says that as we fast, we're not supposed to go around bragging or scowling, making it apparent that we're going without. I, I know that. But I also find that knowing someone is praying for me while I fast, knowing that someone is checking in on me spiritually while I fast makes a difference, okay? Um, today, as we sing our decision song, if you have a decision to make, I hope you'll make it. But I hope most of all, what I've been praying this week is that you'll seriously consider opening this envelope after much prayer and after much time with the Lord. Because if you do this, if we all do this, and, and, and very simply, we all, if, if every one of us here opened this up and fasted for 21 days, and there's a, there's a plan in there for that, um, and it goes along with Daniel, any of you Old Testament scholars, there's a plan for that. And during that 21 days, if every one of us did that fast, and every one of us prayed for one person, the same, everyone was prayed for one person for 21 days, that that person would come to know Jesus Christ as we're fasting, whether we become the tool or God puts somebody in their, in their life. We have intentionally done something to bring Jesus Christ into someone's life.
Not to mention the opportunity you're taking in spending time with God while you're giving up some other things. It's big. Whether you do it for 24 hours or 21 days, it's an amazing opportunity to put yourself before God as, as ugly and as broken as we are and say, take me and mold me and use me for what you want me to be in this community and in this church and in my family and in my job. There's power in that kind of fasting. Whatever it is you're giving up, make sure that you replace it fully with God. And don't run back to it as soon as you're done, okay? Don't gorge yourself on whatever you've given up. It's not Lent and it's not other things, okay? We're, we're putting God where he belongs, the focal point of our lives. We all have decisions to make. And whether your decision is, is a first-time decision for baptism or if you need prayer, the, the elders are here, we can pray with you. But today I pray that the decision we make as a congregation will be to plan a time for fasting and prayer. Will you go ahead and stand with us and sing as you decide?